Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. So we're in this series called Gym Class, studying through the book of James. And uh, James, or Jim as we're calling him, is going to be our guide in gym class, right? He's going to teach us some things about the Christian experience. And uh, if you were here last week, I started off by sharing with you, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and Jesus had several brothers and sisters, and um, James is kind of tucked near the end of your Bible, but it's really the first book written in the New Testament. It's written about 10 years after Jesus came back from the dead, and it's the first glimpse into the Christian experience that, that the new church gets, that the Christians get. Up until then, they all only had Old Testament and the, the ways of Judaism, and now Jesus comes on the scene and, and presents this gospel to them, this good news from God, that he's come to earth for them to, to live the perfect life they couldn't live, to die as a substitute for the punishment they deserve, and then to resurrect from the dead to defeat the power of death and then offer that resurrection life-giving eternal power to us if we will just believe, if we will just have faith, if we will just trust that he is enough all by himself to save us, cry out to him for salvation, he will in that moment transform us into a new creation while we simultaneously release control of all we are to him. And so we become followers of Jesus. And now you're 10 years down the road from that. And you've got all these believers in Jesus scattered around the Roman Empire. And none of them know what they're supposed to do. They're all just kind of like trying to figure it out as they go. And James writes this instruction manual for him. It's written like wisdom literature, almost like the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Where he gives you these like statements one after another, these wise, kind of short, godly statements of how the best way is to live life. And I shared last week, it's just a small five chapter book, but in that five chapters, James shares 22 quotes from the Old Testament. And 15 different times, he repeats a teaching from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe Jesus is what most well known or greatest sermon he ever preached. And so it's a short book, but it's packed with a lot of stuff that would kind of be like Old Testament teaching. It's the closest thing we have in the New Testament. It's like an Old Testament book. And so he's kind of giving these instructions on how to live the Christian experience, how to grow up in your faith, how to exercise your faith and make it stronger, how to have a faith that actually works in real life. And so last week we started off by covering the first part of chapter one, where James says, hey, difficult times, troubles, trials, whatever word you want to use for them there, difficult times are going to come your way. And on top of that, you are going to be tempted to do the wrong thing often. But whenever difficult times come and whenever you feel tempted to do the wrong thing, the answer for you, if you're a Christian, is to keep pressing into Jesus's way and resisting the urge to pull back from Jesus' way. To submit your entire life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, no matter how difficult the trial is, and no matter how intense the temptation is, you just keep pressing into the Jesus way. You just keep trusting. And so this kind of becomes this 
I don't know, it's the closest teaching we have to Jesus' teaching. And, and that makes sense because it's the closest to when Jesus lived that we get teaching. But it's almost as if like he's just kind of repeating all the things Jesus would have taught us. And now today he's going to just kind of dive into the next couple paragraphs with us and he's going to hit a couple more kind of, I don't know, pithy or, or kind of short statements on how to live and, and how you can you know, experience the Christian life to the fullest. And just like I said last week, like James spends almost no time trying to convince you to become a Christian. He writes his entire letter under the assumption that he's writing to people who already are Christians. So you're not going to find a lot of the uh, uh, types of wording that you'll find from what Peter wrote or from what Paul wrote, or they're talking about like, hey, believe and, 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 and God's grace will save you if you'll just trust him and believe. That's all left out. He's writing under the assumption that these are all people that have already bought into Jesus's way. And he's trying to convince them to live it out in the real world now to grow up and strengthen their faith. And so he busts into this next section he's going to give us today in the rest of chapter one. He's going to kind of show us these three either ors. And I'm going to show you all three of them. Three things where he's going to kind of juxtapose or put two items beside each other. And he's going to say, these two things can exist at the same time. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both of them at the same time. So let me give you the first one. It's in James chapter one. We're going to start in verse 19, and here's what he says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Just like we talked about last week, I wish he would have started this off a different way. Because I can think of a lot of like pieces of the Christian experience that I love to do, but this isn't one of them, right? I like to get angry when somebody does the wrong thing. I like to let you know what I'm thinking pretty quick. You know, I don't like this idea like I got to slow down on what I say and I got to listen up to what you're saying. I don't like that. And so I wish it would start a different way. But once again, they didn't consult me on the Bible when they wrote it. So this is what we got. You're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Then in verse 20, he says, human anger. If you're an outliner or a note taker, just underline the words human anger right there. Human anger. And then uh, underline, and, then, and then underline the words righteousness God desires. Human anger and righteousness God desires. And then go back and just circle does not produce. Okay, that's your outline for that verse. We're going to come back to that in a second, okay? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Now this phrase comes up about four times in the book of James. Some translations call it the implanted word. Um, some, some translations will say um, the, the, the word of God that brings liberty or freedom, but it just keeps coming up over and over, right? Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now, has the word of God been planted in everybody's hearts? No. But remember who James is talking to, right? He's only talking to Christians. The ones who have said, I'm following Jesus, whatever his word says, I'm going to do. Whatever he tells me to believe, I'm going to believe. And so he's like, hey, you've already received God's word into your heart. Now accept it. Like own it. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your life and, 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 and swallow the humble pill. Even if it's something you don't like. 
and just embrace or accept the word that's been planted in your heart for it has the power to save your soul. Okay, so here's the first one. I think I got it on the screen, right? Here's the two things, the two ideas he puts together, right? He says human anger and godly righteousness. And he tells us they can exist together. Now, it's not the wording I would have chosen. I would have been like human anger and godly joy can exist together. Like you can't be happy and angry at the same time, right? But that isn't what he says. He seems to indicate that my anger, my human anger, somehow blocks me from being able to live the right way. For me, being able to live the way God says to live. Righteousness is just living rightly. God's righteousness. So my human anger blocks me, prevents me, or he says does not produce, right, godly righteousness. These things can exist together. He contrasts them against each other. And doesn't that make sense? If you think about it for just a second, I think we'd all agree on that. I mean, if you look back in your life and you think, when are the times in my life where I did the best, where I crushed it, where I made the greatest, wisest choices I could? Does anybody look back and be like, oh, that time I was burning, I was so angry, I just made some really good decisions then? No, when we're like ticked off, when we're in a bad mood, when we let our anger kind of get the best of us, isn't that when we make bad decisions? Isn't that when we tend to like react poorly and we look back on those moments and be like, man, I wish I could do that over. I wish I hadn't lost my cool on them. Is that right? So it's like we know that in our hearts. And what James is saying is beyond just the world's view of that, beyond just the natural outpouring of how anger kind of gets in the way of us making good, wise decisions, there's a, a supernatural component to it too where that anger actually goes even beyond that and it prevents me from living the kind of life God would want me to live. Not just making decent choices, but prevents me from making any good choices for God living out the kind of life God wants me to live. It stands against it. And uh, I, I don't know if you can remember this, Stephanie, but, or Kenny, uh, but Kenny, okay, Kenny and Stephanie and I, before there was a Three Strands Church, we were still friends back then, right? And uh, we were still married back then. But, uh, but, but Kenny and Stephanie and I, before we had a Three Strands Church, we were going to a Bible study. It was on a Wednesday night. Okay, I don't know if you guys will remember this or not, but and I think Kenny might have been leading the Bible study, actually, if I recall correctly. You, usually whenever heresy comes up, that's what Kenny's leading it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just messing. So Kenny and Stephanie are in this Bible study. There's about 15 people there. And I don't remember what passage from the Bible we were talking about or studying through that night, but somehow the conversation got onto abortion, okay? And everybody around the table started like, kind of, nobody was quick to hear, slow to speak. Everybody was kind of like spouting their two cents about like abortion, okay? And, and I don't even know how this happened, but at some point like a mob broke out. Okay, you ever been in like that kind of conversation where like the mob mentality breaks out? And somebody literally said, yeah, we ought to round up all those abortion doctors and put them on an island so they can all just die off. And then like a couple other people in the group were like, amen, me too, I agree. And I'm like, I'm looking around in my Bible, I'm thinking like, what version are they looking at, you know? And I'm just thinking, man, they're angry. 
But I don't hear a whole lot of like God's way in that. I mean, if you can find the verse where we're supposed to round up certain types of people and send them to an island to die, I'm with you, but I can't find those verses in the Bible I got. And yet somehow, like, everybody's anger took over and they felt completely justified in that anger because they had right on their side. And isn't that what we do? And all those people out there, the dirty people that we think aren't like us, we get real angry at them because, you know, they're gay or queer or they believe in abortion or they're a liberal Oh my goodness, a liberal, you know? It's like in America, in, in like McCreary County, it's like you'd almost rather have like a terrorist that says he hates your guts and wants to blow up your family move in beside you than a Democrat. It's like grow up, people. The anger of humans is keeping us from the righteousness of God. You see it? And they all know what we hate. They all know what we hate. And the view out there in the world of what Christians are all about is that they know what we hate, but they don't ever see us live in God's righteousness. And somehow what happens is we draw this line. It's full on the one side of all kinds of people who do and say and struggle with things that I don't do or say or struggle with. And those people can be sent to the island as long as I'm on this side. And we're angry. We're angry. And I just wonder, like, at what point are we going to wake up and realize this isn't how to grow my faith? That, that human anger stands opposed to godly righteousness. And so it's like this, I remember this one scene. I, I know I reference a lot of sci-fi movies and kids' movies. That's really all I watch anymore is sci-fi movies and cartoons with my kids. But I remember this one scene back on the first Avengers movie, right? And there's like this conversation with the Hulk when he's Bruce Banner. We're, we're just running some lap. We're, we're, we're exercising in gym class. It's okay. And, uh, and so there, there's this one scene where they're talking with Bruce Banner and, and they, you know, who is the Incredible Hulk, in case you're not a sci-fi person, Incredible Hulk, you know. And so, um, and they, they want to know, like, what's your secret? What's your secret, Bruce? Like, how is it that you can decide to turn into the Incredible Hulk on command, like when you want to? How is it that you get angry? You can make yourself get angry. And then when you get to the end of the movie, right before the final battle scene, and Bruce Banner's about to turn into the Hulk because he's kind of the strongest Avenger, and he's going to like get into the battle and start saving the day, he turns back to the rest of the Avengers and he says, see, that's my secret. I'm always angry. And I wonder how many Christians are walking around and they look the part, but they're really always angry. And what James says the answer is, is not what I would have said. But if you look at it, he says, get rid of all the filth and evil that's dragging you down into the gutter. In other words, I can only be around anger and bitterness and hate for so long before it starts to come out of me. You get it? And so it's possible, it's just possible that your righteousness would grow if you watched less cable news. I'm just throwing that out there. 
I'm not, I'm not calling them the devil. I'm just saying it's only so long that you can listen to everybody hate everybody else before you start to be angry at everybody else. It, it's, it, might, it might just be that there's some conversations in your life that you need to cut off and be like, I don't want to know. There were some people talking to me this week about some stuff that happened in the county. And I'm like really detached from all that stuff, which is great. I love that. I have no social media. I don't, I try to, I don't read the paper. I try to like stay out of all that. But there was like some, I don't know, whatever turmoil that happened or whatever this week in the county. And somebody started telling me about it. And I was like, eh. That's like my noise. I just, I just say, cut it off. I don't want to know. I just say, I don't want to know, you know. I don't want to know. Because the more I know, the angrier I get. And it doesn't even matter which side I get angry at. If you're mad at the Democrats or the Republicans, if you're mad at the straights or the gays, it doesn't matter what side I get angry at. That anger is keeping me from growing in my righteousness. It's not producing any righteousness in me. And so I got to avoid it. I got to eliminate it. I got to humbly accept God's word instead. Because it has the power to save my soul, he says. Here's the second one. He lists these two things, and they kind of build off each other. don't seem to go together necessarily, but in verse 22, he says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. So if you're an underliner or a note taker, underline, listen to God's word. And then underline, do what it says. Otherwise, you are only, and then circle, fooling yourselves. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look, and here's this phrase again, but if you look carefully into the perfect law of liberty or the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So here's the second two items he kind of puts beside each other. says they don't really go together. He says you can be a listener or you can be a doer. You can be a listener or you can be a doer. And I just want you to know, we got lots of listeners. They're all over our room right now. They're all over churches all over the world right now. Listeners. And they got all kinds of Bible verses memorized. And they post all kinds of Christian quotes on their Facebook page. And they got all kinds of cool wall art from Hobby Lobby that inspires you. They're listeners. They don't do hardly any of the stuff they have memorized. They don't do any of the catchy phrases that are on those paintings in their house. But they sure know them. They, they sure hear them and listen to them a lot. And James is saying just listening to God's word isn't enough. You have to do what it says also. And if not, he says, you're only fooling yourself. And I was prepping this week, and I thought in my head, like, these are like vacuum cleaners. Like, we got a lot of Christian vacuum cleaners. Like, they're walking around sucking up all the sermons, the worship music, the podcasts. Oh, and we got more content than ever today. You can find a Christian resource on anything, a book to help you parent, a, a podcast to help you deal with your anger, a, a, a devotional for 40 days to help you overcome addiction. We got more resources than any generation in history. We know it. We listen to it. We hear it. 
We just don't do a lot of it. We're sucking it all up, the dirt and the clean stuff. We're sucking it up like a vacuum cleaner, and it fills us up. We're just a fat old Christian. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger, sucking up more content, learning more truth, and we never give it out. And what James is saying is like, God didn't create you to be a vacuum cleaner. He created you to be more like a pressure washer. You're supposed to take all the water in, then spew it all out, clean the rest of the world off with it. And we're so busy sucking up content and never actually doing what it says. And James is saying, this is just fooling yourself if you're doing that. You're just fooling yourself. Then he gives this illustration to kind of explain what he's saying. He's saying, that would be like, if you just listen to God's word but don't actually do what it says, you're like somebody that goes and looks in a mirror and you see something messed up, but you don't do anything about it. You look in the mirror and your, your hair isn't combed right or, or, or there's a, a cut on your face and you're bleeding and, or, or like your, your eye is all black or you got bloodshot in one eye or, or there's some broccoli stuck in between your teeth and you do nothing about it. You just walk away from the mirror thinking like that dog will hunt and you walk out the door, completely forget what you saw in the mirror and live your life like nothing was wrong with your face. What a fool. Who would do that? Nobody would do that. Pick the broccoli out of your teeth. Like, go live the life God's saying. You can't just hear it. You got to do it. Don't be a fool. And I love the illustration I heard Francis Chan give like several years ago. We said it's like Christianity is kind of like Simon Says. You ever play Simon Says growing up? Where it's like Simon Says, like, pat your head, and you have to pat your head. Or Simon Says, rub your tummy, you got to rub it. Simon Says, jump up and down, you got to jump up and down. And whatever Simon Says you have to do, but then you come to church and somehow Jesus Says doesn't work the same way. It's like if Jesus Says it, I don't have to do it, I just have to memorize it. It's crazy. And like, imagine if my kids came to me and I was like, hey guys, I want you to go clean your rooms. And then an hour later, they come back and I'm like, did you clean your rooms? And they're like, no, dad, we didn't clean our rooms, but I spent that whole hour thinking about what you said. And I memorized it. In fact, I could quote it back to you like in the Greek. Am I going to be like, great job, awesome. No, I'm going to be like, why didn't you do what I told you to do? And they're like, oh, dad, it's so good. I, I really, I can say it just like you said it, dad. In fact, some of my friends are going to come over later. We're going to sit around in a small group and talk about what it would look like if I actually cleaned my room. It's crazy what we do in church where it's like, we think it's okay just to memorize what Jesus says or put it on our wall or post it on our Instagram account and never actually do it. And yeah, I'm all on board with turning the other cheek and loving my enemy and praying for those in authority over me. I'm all on board with not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I'm all on board with confessing our faults one to another until I actually have to do it. And then somehow I don't and think because I know what the Bible says or because I know what Jesus says, I'm good to go. Fooling ourselves. Fooling ourselves. And it reminds me of what John says in 1 John 2.6. This won't be on the screen, but you can look it up later if you want. 1 John 2.6, John says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives like Jesus did. We're supposed to treat Jesus' words like Simon says. Like if he says it, I do it. Here's the third one he gives. Starts in verse 26. Let me read it to you. He says, If you claim to be religious... 
You think you're religious. You think you're right with God. But you don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourself. Go ahead and circle that word, fooling yourselves again. And your religion is worthless. Underline religion is worthless. And then in verse 27, he says, pure and genuine religion. Underline that, pure and genuine religion. In the sight of God, the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James describes this person who thinks they are religious, but just says whatever comes to their mind. And they might say all the right things when it comes to their faith, but then they also destroy other people and their own reputation by the rest of what they say. He says, you also are fooling yourselves. And and here's the comparison he gives here. He says, there's worthless religion and there's valuable religion. He's going to tell us both of them. There's worthless. He says, worthless religion is this guy or this lady who thinks they got it all together. They come into church and they look all pretty. And they don't, they don't cuss anybody out on Sunday morning. And, and, and they say all the right things when you ask them about their faith. They got all the answers. The Pharisee. They know what to say to get everybody off their back. And they prayed a prayer. And they got baptized when they were seven. And they signed a card to join some church. So they're good to go with God. They know all the right things to say. And yet from Monday to Saturday, they're cussing out people at the office. They're ready to punch the old lady that cut them off in traffic. They're ready to beat their kids for being too loud at home. Yeah, they know all the right answers, but the rest of the week, they just say whatever pops into their mind. They don't control their tongue. They say whatever they want. Whatever grinds their gears, whatever, um, they, whatever little pet peeve they want to announce to everybody. And then it's just not what I would say again. He says there's valuable religion you think he would say, well, well, valuable religion then must be the person that controls their tongue, right? But that isn't what he says. He says valuable religion is the person that goes out and actually does something. Takes care of orphans. Takes care of widows. So I don't even know any orphans or widows maybe, right? Doesn't, that doesn't matter. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you go out and you take care of people who can't repay you. That's what he's talking about. You don't treat some people one way because they can pay you back. Treat other people a different way because they can't. You go out and you take care of the people that can't take care of themselves. And then he says, and you keep yourself from getting corrupted by the world. And that doesn't really seem to go together until you read the beginning of chapter 2. And I'm going to read it to you here in just a second because he kind of unpacks it for us to end this discussion today. But too often what we're concerned about is getting seen, getting credit, helping somebody that can help us back at some point, getting some recognition for what we do or how we serve. And I'm okay with giving up anything as long as I get credit for it, right? And he's like, no, go out and serve some people that can't give you anything back. Go out and live the life Jesus wants you to live, not expecting to get anything back for it. And man, I don't, man, man, Kenny and I have had this talk like so many times over the years. I got like a spidey sense. I don't know, it's probably not a spiritual gift. It's probably just my own, like, pride. But it's like, I got this spidey sense for, like, I'm out for my own credit. Man, I can't stand that. I don't want any credit. Like, if there was some way I could preach to you every Sunday and not get any credit, like, I, love, well, I wish I could just be, like, not even seen up here. I don't want any credit for it. I'm so sick of that. Famous, trying to get 
popular. You know what Christianity needs? It needs less celebrities and more servants. That's what we need. That's what James is saying. You're so worried about getting your two cents in, making sure all the people know that you know all the right answers, that you can set them straight, that you can let them know what upsets you. He's like, go out there and help some people that are never going to help you back. Go out there and help some people that can't do anything to repay you. Be a servant. And then he does this great job of kind of, I don't know, going into some detail and then summing up like a powerful statement for us in James chapter 2. Let me just read you part of it. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Verse 4, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Verse 8, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. Listen to what he's saying here. He's saying, It's good that you know you're supposed to love your neighbor like you love yourself. God does say that. It's good if you go out and love other people like you love yourself. But it's all worthless if you only do it for some because they're all your neighbor. So if you pick and choose and you favor some and you disown others, then you're sinning. And now listen to what he says in verse 10. For the person who keeps all the laws except one, is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. The same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, whatever you say or whatever you do, if you're angry or if you choose God's righteousness, if you listen to the word or if you do the word, if you spout off everything you're thinking, or if you help people, whatever you say, whatever you do, remember, you will be judged by the same law. Here's that phrase again that sets you free. The law of liberty. The same law that sets you free. And then he ends in verse 13 with this, what should be for all Christians in the room, alarming, alarming. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. This is the basis for how I'm going to be judged. If I will extend the same mercy to others that God has extended to me. And if I will not, it validates and verifies and proves that I haven't received mercy from God. Because if I had, and if I really know how disgusting I am and how despicable I have treated God, and yet he forgave me, if I really knew that and embraced the perfect law of liberty that God has implanted in my heart, I would extend that same forgiveness and grace to other people. And if I don't, it should be alarming. I am fooling myself. Okay, so now listen, just, just listen for a second. Let me kind of sum up what James is trying to tell us. This is what he's trying to say in this whole, te- the whole context of this passage we looked at today. Here's what he's trying to tell you, ready? He's trying to say, you have a choice about all these things that you act like you don't have a choice about. You have a choice. 
You can decide whether to be angry or whether to do it God's way. You can decide whether to hear the word or do the word. You can decide whether to get your two cents in and get credit for what you do or to go out and help people that can't help you back. You can choose. You have complete control over it. What you lack is not the ability. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, like, you don't understand, I'm such an angry person. You don't understand, it's so hard for me to do the things God is saying to do. You don't understand, it's so hard for me to not want credit for what I'm doing. I just want validation and approval from people. You don't understand how hard it is. Yes, I do understand. I am every bit as angry as you. I every bit want people to approve of me like you do. I every bit find it challenging to do what God says. I understand what James is telling us is we don't lack the ability to do those things. What we lack is the incentive. Now, he gave us the incentive in the passages I read to you today. The problem is our brains are so wired not to even notice them. So we heard all the principles and all the commands. We heard all the instructions from God, but we read right over the benefits. We read right over the incentives, and they just went in one ear and out the other like they didn't even matter to us. Can I show them to you again? He listed them. Let me show them to you. The first one was in James chapter 1, verse 22, when he said this, If you choose God's righteousness, it will save your soul. Put that one up there, verse 21. I think I have it in there. You see the end of it? It has the power to save my soul. If I choose Jesus' way, if I choose godly righteousness over my human anger, it has the power to save my soul. Look at the next one, verse 25 in chapter 1. He said this, God will bless you for doing it. Is that what it says at the end? God will bless you for doing it. And then look at chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, the very last uh, line that we read. He said, God will be merciful to me on judgment day. Now put all three of those things up there for me just for a second. I think I got a list of them next. Yeah, there you go. It'll save your soul. God will bless you for doing it. And you will be given mercy. Now, those three things sound legit. I'll take all three of those. I'll take God giving me blessing. I'll take God being merciful on me whenever I stand in front of him someday. And I'll take my soul getting saved for eternity. I'll take it. But we read right over those like those weren't enough. Like those aren't enough. Here's how I know you don't lack the ability, how you just lack the incentive. You ready? I could ask you to do almost anything for the rest of the week. And if I said I'd give you a million dollars if you did it, you'd do it. You're sitting here right now and you're like, you don't understand. My spouse, I can't stop fighting with them. We fight all the time. And I was like, dude, don't fight with them till Saturday. I'll give you a million bucks. You'd shut up. You'd find a way to let them do almost whatever they want all week, wouldn't you? Without griping about it. If I said, hey, man, all you got to do is uh, stop sleeping with your girlfriend because God says your life will be better if you wait till you're married to have sex. You don't understand. I'm so young, and I really want it, and I love her, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, don't sleep with her the rest of the week. I'll give you a a million large on Saturday. You'd find a way to keep your distance from her all week, wouldn't you? What you lack is not the ability. What you lack is the incentive. So I ask you in the room, Christian, because that's who James talking to. I ask you, is this enough incentive? Is it enough incentive that God says he'll be merciful on us? That God says he'll bless us? That God says he'll save our souls? 
So what's the answer? Why don't I do it? Because I don't do it all the time either. Why don't I do it? This is all I could come up with. Here's why I don't do it. You ready? I don't believe it. Because if I really believed that, then it would change the way I act. And, and, and that's kind of James's point. If you really believe, if you really trust God, if you really have faith, then it will drive what you choose to do. It will drive what you control and what you, what you let run wild. It will drive how you handle emotions and how you treat everyone around you. It will drive what you say and what you don't say. Your faith will drive you to live like Jesus lived. Do you get it? This is what James is saying. Now next week, he's going to double down on this, this idea, because it's so important. But this is what he's saying today. He's saying your faith will drive you to live like Jesus lived. You ready? And if it doesn't, it's not faith. It's fake. So I was studying this week. This is the worst part about being the pastor when you're studying the week and you have to like come face to face with some of this difficult stuff for yourself. I want to challenge you to do the same thing I had to do, which is look at my life and say how much of it is driven by faith and how much of it is driven because of stuff that's fake. How angry am I? How much do I do versus how much do I know? How many people do I help that can't help me back? I just got to say, what James is trying to tell us is, if you're known as being angry all the time, scary. If you can't think of what you do, but you know a lot of stuff about God's word, scary. And if you always get your two cents in and you're heard, but man, you don't ever do anything without getting credit or recognition for it. Come on, man, think about your life. How are you serving Jesus in a way that nobody else sees it and nobody else gives you credit for it? Because James says, if that stuff's true of you, you might be fooling yourself. You might not be producing the righteousness God desires. You might not be all the Christian you think you are. You might not have faith. You might have something fake. I hope you'll come back next week and hear how he wraps this discussion up. But for this week, can I just challenge you to go out of here and don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. Start serving some people that can't serve you back. Start helping some people that will never repay you. Start forgiving some people that don't deserve it. Stop holding on to your anger. Maybe you need to make a change in your life. Stop watching certain content. Stop being around certain negativity. You got to get away from some evil because it's dragging you into the gutter and making you bitter. I don't know what the step of faith is you need to take. I just know James is saying to all of us, look at our lives and we might need to take one. We might not be all we think we are. We might be a little bit more fake than we thought we were. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the very, very hard truth of your word. I needed it. I needed the perfect law of liberty to look into my soul today and to ask me to look back at it and to match my life up against what Jesus says and to really be honest with myself about whether or not I'm doing everything he says.
Am I following him like a kid would obey? And Simon says, or am I out there thinking I can just know some stuff and that'll be good enough? God, will you give everybody in the room the courage to act on what we've just taught from your word? The courage to take the truth and not just be a listener of it, but to be a doer of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.